What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the I'm Talking TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this final day of September, final Friday of September, the 30th of the month, The as we head into the first uh, few days of the month of October and the first weekend of the month of October here in the year of our Lord, 2022. Lots to do, lots to talk about here on this program. Of course, recap my Cincinnati Bengals taking care of business, getting back to 500 as I got 10 days off as they head to my neck of the woods in Baltimore, Maryland, as they pay the Ravens a visit down at the bank. Uh, a week from Sunday night, we'll get into that. I will, of course, touch on uh, the whole fiasco and 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 just the utter sad, disgraceful uh, uh, state of affairs that occurred last night and what has occurred over the last couple of days with uh, Miami Dolphins quarterback to attack of Aloha and his health. We'll discuss that, of course, a week four preview around the National Football League. I, we, of course, will preview the marquee games and give my picks against the spread. And even a couple of baseball items to get to. The judge hit his 61st home run tying Roger Maris earlier this week. I will give you my two cents on that. And it's a big-time series as far as major, in the world of Major League Baseball as they enter their final weekend of the 2020 Two regular season, primarily between the uh, New York Mets and the Atlanta Braves. Mets have a one-game lead heading into this series. Last time these two teams will play each other, uh, for you know, for the for you know, in the rest in the rest of the regular season, Mets and Braves for the NL East should be an absolute classic of a series with uh, Max Fried and Jacob Degrom going in Game One, uh, on uh, Friday night. I'll give you my two cents on that. A little bit later on in the program, but where we will begin, and I understand that you know some things are bigger than football, and, and it was such a huge story, and everybody, every talk show, TV, and radio, and sports known to man led with it, and it was more talking about this specific incident than it was than they were the game. But I'll, but because a because I'm a Bengals fan, and uh, and b bec- you know to do a little something different. And I understand, you know, it's important, but, you know, when I, you, everywhere you look, it's, I understand it's sad, I understand it's, and it's controversial, which also helps too, you know, you, it's easier to to uh, yell and scream over something controversial that happens in the game than to break down the game itself, but I will at least try to do that here at the top and begin the show uh, with uh, talking the game itself and then getting to the whole thing with uh, with uh, Tua's health being up in the air and the negligence and all that uh, and, and all the uh, greater details with that. Uh, as far as the game, my Cincinnati Bengals are 2-0. and My Cincinnati Bengals, ladies and gentlemen, are, are not 2-0. and They're 2-2. and Where the hell did I get 2-0 and from? They're 2-2. and they are two and two. They are back to five hundred uh, for the first time this season. They have truly, essentially erased their their debacles from Week One against the Steelers at home in overtime, and Week Two against the Dallas Week Two against the Dallas Cowboys coming down to the final seconds and the last second. Uh, Brett Maher field goal as they are now at two and two uh, for the moment in this moment in time they are I believe they're in third place uh, because the Steelers are one and two so they haven't played so for the moment 
excuse me, they're in third place. If Pittsburgh uh, beats the Jets on Sunday, they they would still be in last place via tiebreaker, having lost head to head to Pittsburgh. But they are two and two, uh, still in the thick of things, of course. And I understand it's week four, week three, week four. You know, you're sitting up here breaking down standings, but you get the idea. It was a much needed, and I will break down intricacies for this, for, for you know, as far as the game is and the X's and O's in a minute. But it was important. It was vital. We discussed this with Daniel earlier this week, uh, and I discussed it after the fact to close out the, to, uh, to close out the show on, uh, what day? Tuesday, we discussed this. It was imperative imperative that this team took advantage of the of honestly the gift that was that was essentially the schedule and how things ended up working out starting out the season 0-2 you bounce back head in week three against the Jets on the road you beat the Jets 27-12 great now you got uh now you got two games in five days you got a game coming up later that week you know, against uh, against uh, against the Miami Dolphins, undefeated, hottest team in the AFC, hottest team in the AFC, not named the Buffalo Bills, coming off of an upset, beating the aforementioned Buffalo Bills in the final seconds on Sunday, primetime game, first of five primetime games you have this se- that you have this season. It's a uh, game one of two back to back primetime games you have Thursday night, last night, and then uh, in week five, a uh, week from Sunday on October 9th. Uh, Sunday night against the Ravens in my neck of the woods in Baltimore. This is a game that my Cincinnati Bengals had to win. They had to have, and it it was good. Not really, you know, you can sit up here, you can quibble with the standings, you can quibble and say, well, this, it was, it's, they needed this game more than anything for their own confidence and for their, and, and for reassurance and self-assurance that we're still a good football team. We're still a competitive football team. We're too damn good. And our roster is too damn good. Top to bottom one to 53. Uh, and we have too much talent, all pro slash pro bowl talent on this roster for us to be an 0-2 football team and for us to, God forbid, drop the 0-3, 0-4. We're too good for that. And what you saw from Cincinnati this week from Sunday against the Jets to last night against the Miami Dolphins is that is that this team is starting to gel and, they're, and you're seeing the, the cohesion start to... Uh, manifests itself that you didn't see in the Steeler that you damn sure didn't see in the Steeler game, and you didn't see in the uh, in the Dallas Cowboy game. And I think from uh, from a Cincinnati Bengals fans' perspective, that is a huge positive. Screaming and yell from the heavens, you guys, you know, set up there. Those of you listening to the show, you hear me screaming. You scream and yell about it. I mean, the team sleepwalks, and they had their moments where they sleptwalk with, and that relates to the head coach, which I will for sure get to in a minute. But big picture and the positives first. You especially starting the season out zero and two, all you can do is stress the positives. You win back to back games, two games, same week in a same calendar week period in five in a five day time. You know, and you know, one of them, which was the confidence booster against the lowly Jets, and the other one against, again, the hottest team in the AFC, la- only remaining team undefeated in the AFC, in a game that would have meant would have meant just as much, if not more, if had the Dolphins would have won compared to uh, compared to us, ended up getting the result. Us Bengals fans wanted last night. 
Um, you know, the defense, what can I say? I mean, the defense has just been absolutely sensational. They have only given up since they got taken to, since they, since Dallas marched down the field on them in week two and back back offensive drives in the first quarter, the Cincinnati Bengals in two games have given up exactly one touchdown. Since their week two loss against Dallas, where they allowed Cooper Rush to march up and down the field twice on back-to-back drives to begin the game. In the last two games, I understand it's just the first one, but still, you start on with two, you take any little more victory you get. When it comes, when you when you when you're trying to, uh, you know, when you're trying when it's when when you're trying to alleviate the stresses and the anxiety from the poor from the poor start, they've given up one touchdown. And that's a touchdown that they get, and it was a touchdown that they gave up uh, in the second quarter. They've given up one touchdown since week two, one. So the defense did a tre- defense did a tremendous job. Uh, they held Bridgewater and Tua combined to two, to only two hundred ninety three passing yards. Von Bell had a huge night. What a game for him! Two interceptions, uh, four, uh, four. Excuse me, four total tackles on the night for Von Bell, one one of the most underrated safeties in the NFL. Hell of a night he had. Clutch interception uh, he had, especially the second one when uh, when I, and I was I know I wasn't the only one, the only Bengals fan out there whose uh, anuses was getting a little clenched, jaw was getting a little tight. And and the and their blood pressure was starting to raise slowly but surely. You know, you saw that clock tick 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 tick, and it's like, okay, the Dolphins are only are are up are down one. You know, this has an opportunity to be another disaster, losing to a backup quarterback. And all of a sudden, Von Bell said, "You know what, guys, don't worry." And he went out there, and it it was the official coup de gras. But let's just say that the Bengals' winning percentage. Uh, you know, chance of winning percentage went up after the Von Bell interception, but the defense has done an absolutely sensational job. Logan Wilson, I mean, what a G! Seven total, seven total tackles, one for a loss on on a on a clutch, uh, uh third and I believe it was a yeah third and inches play, a clutch attack, a clutch TFL on, on that specific play in the second half, which was which was which was a godsend. Uh, four solo tackles, seven total for the game. Uh, you know the secondary did a good. You know, the secondary did a d- decent job. Gave up the big play to uh, Tyree Kill uh, downfield, middle of the field, which set up Miami's only touchdown for the game. Uh, but you know they outside, out, really outside of that, they did not let Waddle and. Tyree Kill go crazy and have career games as far as over the top. Uh, Waddle and Hills, you know, substantial gains and big uh, chunk plays and chunk catches came from came from the Dolphins drawing up uh, pass plays and pass schemes over the over the middle of the field. So you saw so you saw Cincinnati with their safeties with Bell and Bates did a tremendous job of taking pl- outside of that one play to Bell over the top over the middle of the field. On one v one coverage, but um, but it, the Bengals defense did a tremendous job with taking away plays over the t- you know, taking away the big plays over the top. They kept a lot of the uh, a lot of the plays, uh, the big the, uh, the the pass plays to a uh, Hill and Waddle. Uh, they kept them in front of them, but defense did a good job. Uh, you know, did get after the quarterback. Only got the two. Uh, only got the two at once, and that was on the. Uh, and that was on the. Uh, 
the 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 scary injury, which we will address after the break. But you know, the, the Bengals' DC defensive front didn't apply pressure, unlike they did against the Jets on last Sunday. But honestly, they didn't have to. Uh, because when the secondary did their job and he only held the Dolphins to one touchdown and uh, had the Dolphins punt, let's see, and the Dolphins punted uh, one, two, uh, they, well, they punted only twice, but they only came away with points once in the second half, had an interception, uh, allowed the force uh, Miami to punt twice, Missed field goal, another interception. So when you keep the Dolphins out of the end zone and they only score uh, once in the second half and that was a a field goal with 3.38 to go uh, in the third quarter to make it 15-14 Cincinnati, or uh, no, no, excuse me, 15-14 Miami. There's not a lot of things to uh, moan and groan about from a Cincinnati Bengals fan's perspective. Special teams also has been uh, clean week one. Uh, now that probably if there was now it was a big deal because that that stu- that uh long snapper situation should have been taken care of and should have been buckled down. Uh, you know, in the during the Steelers during Steelers week and during the Steelers game as the game went along, but ever since week one, it seems like that's that that is the only negative thing from week one that stayed in week one. You know, the the Burrow sacks carried over to the Cowboy game. The op, the the stagnant offense has has essentially, and one one point in time or another, has shown itself in each of of the, in each of the two games after the Cowboy after or each of the last three games in the, after the Steeler game, but uh, but that's really been the one uh, big thing, one big uh, gripe that I had from their lo- from their loss in week one against Pittsburgh that's kind of that stayed in week one so the special teams is clean they even got a block even got a block field goal so if anything you give the special teams an a because uh, you know McPherson when the Bengals offense uh, stalled he did hey, put together or put uh, made some uh, made some hella long kicks uh, he had one uh, with uh, let me see if I can sit here and pull it up here with uh, six seventeen, when they were up seventeen fifteen, he kit he made a fifty seven yarder from the logo, like you know, like he was Justin Tucker. So, the special teams has done a tremendous job since their snafus week one uh, against uh, against Pittsburgh. Offensive line also starting to gel. They've uh, they're starting to gel. They become more of a cohesive unit, more chemistry with uh, Ted Carras and and Volt and Volson and the crew. So they become more of a cohesive unit, hyping each other up on the sidelines. Joe Burrow, you know, giving them depth, hyping them up on the sidelines uh, after they after they had scored the touchdown to uh, to Drew Sample on the uh, or was it Drew Sample? Let me double check. Um, no, Hayden Hurst. I apologize. Drew Sample didn't play in the game with uh, with a bad ankle, but you saw Burrow hyping up his offensive lineman on the sidelines in the final closing minutes of the fourth quarter after the uh, Hayden Hurst. Uh, third and goal uh, play action touchdown pass. So they're starting to so that, which is a tremendous positive because, you know, obviously I came on here screaming and yelling, where's cohesion, where's the chemistry, this, that, and the other. And it looks like 
Ascent, and I understand, like you know, Ravens defense, which hasn't been much, of, which hasn't generated much of a pass rush thus far this season. All of a sudden, look, you know, Sunday night, look, you know, go right back to go right back to the way they were in twenty twenty, eating up uh, Joe Bro for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then I'm on here, uh, you know, uh, on Tuesday the what the eleventh, uh, kicking and screaming and singing a different tune. But, you know, the fact of the matter of it is they're coming together. They're more of a cohesive unit now um, than they were in week one, even week two. They've cut down their sacks tremendously. Burrow only got sacked twice in the Jets game. Burrow got only sacked once last night. So after, so in the first two games of the season, the Bengals offensive line gave up 13 sacks. In the last two games combined, they've given up only, they've given up only three, which is a, which is a tremendous positive. They've cut, they've literally cut 10 sacks off of their total that they had uh, after the, you know, in between week two and week three after the Cowboy game. So the offensive line starting to gel, come together, gave Burrow a clean pocket 90% of the night, did a fabulous, sensational job, and credit Joe Burrow. You know, when plays broke down and uh, and you know, the plays broke down and receivers weren't open, he either threw it away or he, t- or he tuck it and ran. That's what you need. You cannot hold on to the football for 50 years trying to make something downfield. No, when the play's not there, if there's room for you to run, run and take off so you can get positive yardage and not waste downs. Or if or if they got the spy on you and everybody's covered, you chuck it out of bounds. Simple. So Burrow's gotten better with that, with his pocket presence over the last uh, few games. O-line is, uh, again, has played uh, has played very very well uh, in the last two games, which I knew what it was. It wasn't like the Bengals weren't going to drop uh, you know a king's ransom on a bunch of offensive linemen who stink. It wasn't the it wasn't the lack of talent or the fact that they got bad offensive linemen. It was the it, it, it fell on coaching. And it looks like the coaching has improved itself ever since those week one and week two debacles against Pittsburgh and against uh, and against Dallas. Joe Burrow's play also started to improve. He had the four interceptions week one against uh, week one against um, against uh, the the Steelers, and he's been and he's been clean as a whistle with the turnovers ever since. No interceptions, threw for two touchdown passes, twenty of thirty one, eight incomplete passes. Uh, if you do, uh, or excuse me, nine incomplete passes. No, wait, excuse me, eleven incomplete passes. Twenty of thirty-one, two hundred eighty-seven passing yards. Only got sacked. Uh, only got sacked once. A tremendous job for him. His pocket presence, at like I said, has definitely improved as well. Um, but there's one thing that I gotta say about, oh, and also give uh, before I get to that one thing. How about T. Higgins? Seven receptions, 124 receiving yards, and one touchdown catch on nine targets. I tell you, and people sip it, well, Jamar Chase and this, that, and the other, he's not getting the ball, and which is a problem and something I will get to as we, you know, the last one thing I want to touch on on the Bengals' victory before we uh, before we take a break. But, you know, the reason why I don't pan- I panic if it's because of lack of of creative play calling. That's when I get. That's when I go crazy. But if he's, but if the play calling is fluid and it's good, and Zach Taylor's operating with a deep playbook or whatever, and Chase isn't getting the ball because he's covered, 
it's the nature of the beast. Second-year player, teams are going to know how to game plan against them. So, you know, it's not like he's every single game is going to step out on there on the field and drop 125 over 200 yards receiving and, and catch two, three, four touchdowns every single game. It's, teams are going to adjust. They're going to adjust. They're going to know how to plan it and, and basically take the Bill Belichick approach and that is making sure come hell to high water, your best your best offensive weapon, your best offensive player, not not your starting quarterback, you know, won't beat us. And that's what, and outside of Pittsburgh, which which is which is so far has been his best game statistically of the young season. You know he's he's been okay, but okay, but okay from Jamar Chase is fine when you have receivers like T Higgins willing to pick up the slack. And then last Sunday against the Jets, Tyler Boyd to do the same thing. But if there's one thing, one thing. That is a glaring weakness with this football team and is a glaring issue that if it isn't changed and if it goes unchecked, will be probably this team's low, uh, soul and, and, and uh, soul, if any, or one of few roadblocks to getting back to Super Bowl and winning it. That one little roadblock, and it ain't even little, I should say, that one huge roadblock is Zach Taylor. It is Zach Taylor. Now listen, does he get credit for getting a team that was one of the worst in the sport to the Super Bowl? Yes. Does he get credit for being the, uh, you know, for winning for his, you know, his first opportunity he gets in front, he gets, you know, in front of him, he goes out there and wins playoff games and ends the uh, the Bengals. Uh, playoff drought, yes. Does he get credit for the 18-point comeback against Kansas City in Kansas City in the AFC Championship game? You're damn right he does. But, next sentence. Zach Taylor, as far, Zach Taylor as an offensive play caller and as an in-game decision maker is, 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 is literally no better, if at all, what it was in the dark ages of 2020 and 2019 when he first got there. Zach Taylor, the head coach, the leader of men, is is very good and has improved over the years. But Zach Taylor, the play caller, on fourth and one and you're running and you run a toss play? Really? You do not run east-west you run north south especially in short yardage situations fourth and one and we're going and we're going with the sweeps and the thought really Zach really I mean it was it literally his decision making and the fact that he was so damn stubborn and refused to abandon the run when it was clear as where it, where it was as clear as a as 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 a as a freshly stained piece of glass that it wasn't working. It when the Dolphins had a depleted secondary, secondary was running on fumes and they had a backups to the backups in the game in some certain positions. I mean, I literally feel like I'm repeating myself and going through deja vu from the same crap he pulled in the San Francisco game last December. Can we wake up, smell the coffee, and get a damn clue, Zach? 
place. Miami's running on fumes. They're secondary. On fumes. Their depth at secondary defensive at uh with what their corners thin ice. They're they're scraping at the bottom of the barrel for more corners to play. And you got the arguably the best wide receiver room in all of football. And we're still running the football, you know, we run the football uh, 25 times, once with P. Ryan that went nowhere, and 24 times with Joe Mixon, when his longest run of the night was for seven yards. Really? Look, I understand the run sets up the pass. I understand the run sets up the play action with your running gun offense. But can we can we pay attention, watch the game with our eyes, and and and, and realize what the hell's going on in front of us and around us on the field? The run wasn't working, Zach. You running the football constantly played right into the Dolphins' hands. Especially when there were times where if anything you needed to open up the playbook, abandon the run altogether, and just be making sure that you don't have any more drives stall stall out and three and outs. But no, we'll keep on running the football to Joe Mixon to a swarm of Miami Dolphin defensive defensive linemen. I mean, I mean you gotta be kidding me, Zach. You got again, is he is he a is he a solid very good leader of men. Yes. Has he built a culture of winning and expectations? Yes, he has. Does he deserve credit for the turnaround along with Joe? But does he deserve credit for for the turnaround with this franchise over the last few years, over the last two seasons, including this one? Yes, a thousand percent, absolutely. Does he deserve credit to do what Marvin Lewis couldn't do in 17, 16, 17 years, and that's win the Bengals a playoff game at home and on the road? 18 points down in the AFC Championship game. They come back, win the game in overtime to take out the back-to-back AFC champion uh, and the Super Bowl champions from the uh, from uh, the two seasons prior to 2021. At 1,000%. Without argument, no question. So the, he deserves his flowers, and he deserves praise and credit for, for, for things like that. He may be a very good damn good leader of men he may command the head coaching position with the best in the national football league right now but when it comes to his in-game decision making and his play calling in the moment in the heat of battle in the arena i have major 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 doubts with him and he comes and 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 it's it's literally like watching the same thing that that I saw when his team was in the toilet in nineteen and twenty. It's the same damn thing. All the talent around you, and we're coaching games like we're the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're calling games like like we're Matt Canada. You only open up the playbook when you felt the pressure from the from the sold out crowd at play, at Paycor Stadium and probably heard the frequencies through the television of me yelling and screaming for you to open up the damn playbook and throw it, and let Joe throw the ball deep every once in a while. But if he doesn't stop, if he doesn't stop his piss poor play calling, 
abandon his whatever stubborn ways he has with his play call with his offensive play calling and his in-game decisions i'm gonna tell you something as sure as 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 sure as i'm sitting here on friday september the 30th he will be this team's he will lead to his own and by what i mean by his own specifically his team's demise if he doesn't stop it he will be sitting at home so fast not back in the Super Bowl, maybe not even back in the AFC Championship game, which I hope isn't the case, but he keeps screwing around. He'll be there on his ass, sitting on a couch somewhere in Cincinnati, playing the shoulda, coulda, woulda game if he doesn't stop with this. Because if Teddy Bridgewater takes care of the football and the Bengals' defense is, you know, is is average, average at best below average we're having a totally different conversation right now totally different just getting started we will take a break and we will get to Tua this is the I'm telling like a TIS podcast Welcome back to the I'm Telekatiyas podcast. The second element of this game that we have to touch on uh, is uh, what happened with Tua Tagovailoa in the second quarter. Uh, him getting sacked in midfield and his body going into shock. And just and let me, uh, and I got someone uh, here I want to uh, give his two cents I want uh to I want to hear his two cents and want him to give his two cents to the world. But before I get to him, let me just set the table with this: Tua should have never, ever have gone back in that game against Buffalo on Sunday. Should have never went back in. Should have never played the second half, and he should never have played Thursday night. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a neurologist. We can debate. Whether or not it's his, whether or not it's he really truly had a concussion if he passed concussion protocol or if he didn't, it looks like to me because albeit he hit his head hard on the on the grass at at hard at the Hard Rock Stadium on Sunday, and he really did look like he hit, he hit more of like his upper back around his neck. And it did like he hit the ground all that hard, and it wasn't a dirty, vicious tackle last night. But you, the whole thing, it's like it is a very messy and just bad situation on all the courts. I think, and this is me talking, I think that in all objectivity, Tua may not, and, and you know, after we get investigations and all that sort of stuff, Maybe, and it wouldn't surprise me if it actually came out that Tua didn't have a concussion, but he also at the same time wasn't, it wasn't, it, it wasn't fit, it wasn't safe, 
It wasn't logical, and he shouldn't have been medically cleared to play because I think this is not me diagnosing. This is not. I'm not a doctor, but th but my intuition is telling me that he may not. Ha but that his head might have been fine on the surface, but he may have had an issue with his with 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 nerve and possibly might have had nerve damage up and around his neck near the bottom of his head reason one reason why i say that look jim mcmahon perfect example jim mcmahon who who had many of concussions in his career that played in the eighties and the nineties when football within as you know, when you speak about NFL football within the last thirty five forty five years is as was as brutal as it was in the in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties and of course the equipment in the eighties and nineties is nowhere near what it is in two thousand and twenty two NFL but if you if and if you watch the thirty for thirty documentary on eighty five Bears. The latter part of the documentary touches on, because of course Dave Durson, one of the players that was on that team, committed suicide in 2011, many a concussions in his career, and was post posthumously diagnosed with CTE. All of a sudden, Jim McMahon starting quarterback for their football team. You know, brain fog, memory fog. Said one time or another, if he had a, if he had access to a gun, he probably would have killed himself. I say all that to say, if you go back and you watch that, and I'm getting somewhere with this, you go back and watch it on the surface. He thought that he honestly had problems with his brain, that there was literal on the surface brain damage that you could easily detect. But what the one specific doctor did that he went to go see is that he saw that that they and they looked at his spinal cord and his nerves that connect his with his spine his back his neck and a lower part of his head lo and behold they checked out that area and that aggro and that aggravation in that specific area of his lower head neck and upper back turned out to be the issue so I am not diagnosing anything. This is just my intuition and me taking a quote-unquote educated guess. This is my, in scientific terms, my hypothesis that maybe, and it is a big maybe, that Tua didn't suffer a concussion against Buffalo, and he maybe, and he of course suffered one last night, but Buffalo, it may not have been a concussion. We may, I think that we may found out that it more or less was something to do with with nervous system and spinal cord damage than it is in concussion. I'm not saying that's the case. That's just an educated guess. Okay, that's the first thing. The other thing is that it is on the head coach, Mike McDaniel. It is on him, the team doctors, the independent neurologist that is okayed by the National Football League, it is on them and it is also on a Miami Dolphins organization for allowing Tua Tagovailoa to play last night. Okay, there is no excuse, none whatsoever, for Tua to be playing last night. I don't care if he swears up and down, I'm fine, I'm this, that, and the other. The bottom line is when he felt, when he was pushed back, and hit his head, and his neck jerked back, whiplash, and his head 
hit the ground as fiercely as it did. And he got up, shaking his head, shaking the cobwebs out, took a couple of steps and fell down. A, he should have been out of the game right then that time. And second, he should have never, ever even given the option. I don't care how many concussion protocols he tests. Based on the eye test alone, I could not in my good conscience, if I was the head coach who had the final say whether or not to put him on the field, if I was an independent neurologist, or if I was a team doctor working for the Miami Dolphins organization, or if I was the GM, the VP, the team president, or the de facto quote-unquote step-in owner while Ross is away on suspension. I could care less. Somebody's got to be adult in the room and say, yeah, it may, I suspect I'll, if the meta, if the medicine and if the science says one thing, I have to, I have to take take the numbers and the data's word for it. But me personally, I do not feel right within my good conscience to put our star franchise quarterback out there, who who was wobbly and what and didn't have all his bearings five days prior against the Buffalo Bills when it was a hundred degrees outside. I cannot, in my good conscience, go out there five days later and put him and put him out there and say, "Okay, go take on Cincinnati on Thursday night." I, if it was me, I couldn't do that. If if every single doctor within the Dolphins organization whose responsibility was to look over him even cleared him, if I am Mike McDaniel, the head coach, I understand he's young. I understand it's his first year on the job and he's only three games in. Having said all that, if that is his, if look at it like this, if it was his nephew, if it was his brother, if it was his son, you gotta look at it from that standpoint. If it was, you cannot under any, you can't even put him in that position for him to possibly injure himself. He could be medically cleared to the cows come home. If it doesn't smell right to you, and if there's something in your gut which should have been, eh, I don't know about this one. Although the numbers say this, something between something in my heart and between my ears is saying otherwise. You gotta trust that. You gotta trust that. It is not. It wouldn't. It's not the. It wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world to send out Teddy Bridgewater, who's a competent starter in the National Football League, to go out there on a Thursday night, five days after you beat Buffalo in an absolute, uh, uh, in an absolute war of attrition, in the in in the in the blistering South Beach heat. It wouldn't have been the end of the world if you. I don't want to say forfeit the game, but if you say to it, you know what, take a break. We'll see. And I don't even know who they play next week, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll but we will address things after the Cincinnati game. Well, and we and we have ten days off in between in between our next game. Yeah, I understand three and zero, best team in the AFC by you know best record, only undefeated team in the AFC, and you re- and, and, and I understand all that. I get that, but it wouldn't have been the end of the world if you would have fell if you know if Teddy Bridgewater plays and you lose the game thirty one seventeen. you can you can afford three and one, and I think it also ties into. The issue with the Dolphins that we have been talking about and addressing all throughout the offseason leading into the 2022 season. The matter of the owner, Stephen Ross, is suspended the entire season with, with the lawsuit with Flores with tampering. Suspended and was, fi- and was fined millions for tampering trying to get Tom Brady and, and Sean Payton to, 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 uh, to be the head coach and quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. Okay, it's the same common theme here. 
the Dolphins are were so desperate, so desperate, and were willing to cut corners and to take shortcuts by any means necessary to be two things. A, to win games, or actually three. A, to win games, B, sell tickets, and C, to be relevant. And to be talked about on the FS1s and the ESPNs of the world as far as are the Miami Dolphins a legit contender to AFC East and all that other nonsense. It's a common theme. They cut corners and they were desperate as hell to the point where they broke NFL rules with tampering. Trying to get Brady and to get Peyton to be the head coach and quarterback with the, for their football team. Not to mention the accusations of racism within the organization. Not to mention the accusations of, th- of throwing games and tanking. On, openly tanking. Like f- physical evidence of we're intentionally trying to lose and throw, these, throw football games. And it's the same and the same theme you saw all throughout the offseason. It, uh, it came up. Its head, its head pokes itself out of the, out of its little groundhog hole once again over the over the span of this past week. The desperate the dolphins being so desperate, so uh so hungry, so driven. So obsessed with them being a competitive, watchable, entertaining, and compelling football team. Talked about in all the studio shows, you know, all the hype around them. You got Tyree Kill now, him and Jalen Waddle, best one-two punch in the AFC wide receivers. All of that. Tua, Jalen Hurts, two Alabama quarterbacks that were teammates. You know, won national championships together. Now they're now they're the quarterbacks of the two. Listen, I got a Wall Street Journal article right in front of me saying, you know, highlighting the formula that built the NFL's breakout teams. Andrew Beaton, Wall Street Journal, sports section. Picture of two in the Ravens game. Quarterback to a tag below has led the Dolphins to a three and zero start. So what this shows me is that the Dolphins and it's. I funny, it's not funny. It's ironic as hell because before the game yesterday, I remember seeing a clip on Instagram that Julian Edelman said on Inside the NFL on Tuesday saying how he was, quote, said among other things, how he was worried about the Miami Dolphins because he was afraid that they did a little bit too much drinking of their own Kool-Aid and they were, and were getting caught up too much in their own hype. Hype, excuse me, and it might come back to bite him in the ass. Well, it didn't come back to bite him in the ass the way that Julian Edelman expected, but it sure as hell bit him hard. Now, the only difference is that instead of with suspensions and, and financial punishments, now someone else's health is having to pay the price for the Dolphins' greed. Fact this is just the way it is. Now, joining me, player that's played uh, football a couple of times in his own life, who's bouncing around with, you know, women throwing themselves at him and dressing like he's fitting to be on the cover of the next GQ magazine in October, and the dude's got more facial hair than I do for crying out loud, if that's possible. He's two years younger than me. 
uh, he'll be, he'll be, I guarantee he'll be playing on Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime somewhere or another. Haven't had, had it, haven't had him on in a long time, and I want, and I'm interested in his opinions on, on Tua's injury on Thursday night and what happened Sunday. My younger brother joining us, rejoining us to the program, my brother Ian Shields. Ian, how are you today, pal? Okay. Um, I'm chilling, bro. I'm, I'm chilling. Still going through college and everything, but I'm hanging in there. Good to talk to you. Now, what was your, you saw the game live. Uh, what was your initial reaction and thoughts to, to, to A, the, in, well, first the, the, to a, in, initially injuring himself on Sunday and then on uh, Thursday night, him getting carted off on the stretcher. What was your opinions on that? So I didn't really see Sunday. I didn't see the game live, but I saw on YouTube um, when he got hit, and like you know, I heard people talking about it. I didn't really think. I didn't think it was that major, but until I saw the video when uh, Tua stood up, and like shook his head and everything had his hand on his head, on his head, and he walked and he collapsed, and I'm like, whoa, like that's. Bro, that's you don't see that every day. Uh, that's like a short telltale sign, like you know, the injury's bad and like you're not coming back in the game. That's why I feel like a lot of people are surprised that he came back in the game is because, you know, when you're walking, if you got hit in the head, like you collapse, that's like that's brain, brain injury directly. That's a telltale sign. So, me personally, I think it's very selfish for Miami Dolphins to do that. Um, I mean, I just feel like they put the team first more than him and like truth be told if I'm a Dolphins player now am I really safe do I really feel like I'm in good hands after I get injured or if something happens with my head or something am I really trustworthy I like the organization I like the doctors and everything the answer is no because that's a telltale sign that like you know we really don't care about you we just care about your performance on the field if we could die all, all we care you know as long as we making money and everything as long as we moving up selling tickets and everything, and, you know, you out on the field, we don't care, like, if you're not even to able to perform, or this could be your last game, and then when you, um, look back at yesterday, and, like, you just, when you got hit, and, like, you just saw his hands, like, his body going to shock, I just think that's, like, it's just sad, because, like, you know, this all could have been prevented if you would just sat him down, and like you said, like, Teddy Bridgewater's not no Drew Locke or something. I mean, he's not the best court. He's not the best backup quarterback, but you know he's proven himself. He's been to a couple playoff games. You know, he took the uh, two out fifteen Vikings to the wild N- NFC wild card game, in which they lost in Blair Walsh missed field goal against us. But like you know, he's not he's not terrible. I mean, he I mean even when he came in the game, he didn't. They still scored points. He was still they weren't like stagnant. They weren't able to not move the football. So that's not the problem. Me personally, I, especially as a first-year head coach for the Dolphins, this is something that you really do not want. Like, even if you're more steps, like you, Pete Carroll, Belichick, John Harbaugh, one of the most more established guys, you know, who's been coaching for a while, coaching for a team a while. You know, you don't respect the decision, but, like, you're like, eh, maybe he knows what he's doing. Maybe he knows something that we don't. But if it's your first year with the team and it's week, and if it's week three, like, you, you're, not even, you're not even a whole month into the season. This week, you making stupid decisions like that. Not just play calling, but just in general, just like with players' health and safety. That's not, it's not a good thing. Come like, you know, contact negotiation time. It's like, that's one of the things that's going to stick out, I feel like. It's like, 
you know, you say you care about this team, you love this team, but like, why would you, why would you put that man out there? Why would you put two out there knowing that he wasn't one hundred percent? I just, I don't understand that. Um, I mean, truth be told, I feel like if two one have played last night, you would saw probably maybe a closer game, and Miami probably maybe even won. I mean, who knows? But I just, even if they do lose uh, Sunday or they win Sunday, even if they did lose last Sunday. Or say they won last Sunday and like they lost like they did last night. What are you looking at? Two and one, two and two. That's not bad. I mean, you what? That's still second place in the division because you have, you obviously have Buffalo at top, but like you know New England struggling because Mac Jones is out with an injury. You know the Jets are, you know yes because Joe Flacco beat Cleveland at one time. You know it's it, it, do you really expect them to make the playoffs? No, it's like let me let me ask you a question. Do you think that um? And I got a couple more points, and I won't keep you here long. But uh, let me ask you a question. Is there any specific blame that you put? Do you do you blame Tua? Do you blame, like, who do you think, if you were to, like, divvy up who who's responsible for this? Who is, you know, who do you, in your eyes, do you think takes the majority of the blame? Because I think, because... I, it's not entirely Tua's fault, but Tua has to know his own body. And I understand, that, again, it goes, and me and you discussed off air, you know, professional athletes, specifically like football players, within the arena, within that moment of the game, they are borderline, and I say this lightly with air quotes, they're borderline, psych, they're borderline psychotic, where they, you know, will... Well, and they look at it kind of like like they're in the field of battle, like fighting in the military. Well, they will l- die on their die on the football field in uniform, and if it means that their presence there and their skill set that they bring to their football team gives them a better chance to win. Now, I see, I see what you're saying, but then again, that's different because two got hit in the head. Like when you get hit in the head, like you, there's so much stuff that's going on, not just. Body goes in shock, and for one, like you realistically, you can't think because you got hit in the head. So, to be told, zero blame goes on to it because for one, he got hit in the head. Like, is he really capable of like you making his own decisions? Answer is no. Uh, the team doctors. Man, they should have saved him from himself, which I agree with one hundred percent. Team team doctors, they play a huge part in it, but realistically, the blame goes on the head coach. But I don't care what the doctors say, like. Yeah, okay, so if Tua would have broke his leg and the t- doctors would send him out there, you see the bone sticking out of his leg, you still want to send him out there? At some point, you got to say, nah, like, I don't care what the doctors got to say. You got to say, hold on. But, like, I'm the head coach, and this is why I feel like Mike Tomlin gets his respect from is because he gets to know the players and everything. He puts their needs you know first. That, that, and, like, he, yep. he understands that, like, you know, football is one thing, but, like, there's life after football. Supposedly... Mike, what's his name? Mike McDaniel's. Mike McDaniel, yeah. Mike McDaniel's could have ruined, could have basically could have ruined his career. Could have made him, got him paralyzed and everything. Of one stupid mistake that he can't sacrifice a game. When it's the first, now we're not talking about playoff time here, where only when this game they're in. You're talking about not even, you're not even first one out of the season. You're not even zero two. You like you sit up here, what two and zero? So no three and zero heading into last night, yeah. But you're sitting then you're sitting here like I mean great you don't want to lose the game but like it's not gonna hurt you. It's like when you like when you're taking a test like and like you average like uh, 
You have a it's, I know you got you got you got, a, you got a you got a you got a ninety seven in a class and you got like a quiz that's worth five points that you either didn't study for on purpose or it snuck up on you or whatever. Like, are you going? Are you going to risk cheating and and risk getting caught to keep the ninety seven, or will you live if you if you know you flunk the damn thing, and it t- and it brings your grade from like a ninety six down to like a ninety three? You know, you got you got you got to you got to weigh what's important. But you brought up Tom, and it's a brilliant point. Hold on, let me let me finish, go ahead. Let go me ahead, finish go this ahead, real quick. Ahead. I feel like also he wasn't thinking because I'm like, okay, it's the first month of the season, all right? But you like you're gonna be saying people can bring up oh he's just you know he wants to win he's thinking about what if, what if this game really mattered and everything like what if this game that game can make him in the to keep him in the playoffs it's like it's okay say that game did keep him in the playoffs say you lose Tua like Bridgewater's cool but like that's still your start that's still a quarterback who you said this is my QB one you then lost him so at that point it cancels out. What's the whole point of sacrificing something in the in the short end if in the long in the long term you can't even have that? It's like I don't I that that doesn't make any sense to me because I'm like if you are going to sacrifice to his body now week three, that sacrifice could cost you in week thirteen. That yeah of next season, if you know God forbid you know he has like a career ending injury and he's got to say you know I got to hang it up. Then the Dolphins are all of a sudden, now they got to start from scratch all over again because they don't have a starting quarterback. Because especially when we talk about a quarterback, that's the not only the captain of the team, but them dudes got chemistry with him. Kaseki definitely got chemistry with Tua. Waddle's got one, and Tyreek Hill's starting to form his. So now they got to start all over again. And you know, and that's why I feel like I want to make this quick transition real quick. That's why I feel like. Just when you talk about Seattle real quick, I hate talking about well, it. Well, we'll, 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 we'll get to Seattle, but there's one thing I wanted to say because you touched on it. It was a brilliant point, uh, and it was a brilliant point on your part. You know, Mike. you going to your point with Mike Tomlin. He was on the pivot back in August, and if you, are, if you aren't familiar with the pivot, it's a podcast that's, uh, that's primarily visual that you, you know, that they upload, they record it and they upload and they upload the, vi- you know, the visual component on the clip, the video uh, component of, the, of their show on YouTube. Um, and one of the hosts on the show, it's Fred Taylor, it's Shannon Crowder. And it's uh, and it's Ryan Clark. Ryan Clark, of course, is the, Steel- the Super Bowl champion safety for the Steelers who played under Mike Tomlin. And Clark, now, of course, obviously with ESPN, Clark had to deal, I believe he's still dealing with, but I know for sure, definitely at the time during his playing days, suffers with sickle cell disease. And sickle cell disease, uh, you know, you can Google it and read up on it on your own time, but basically the long and short of it, is that it makes it practically, unless Ryan Clark wants to fight for his life in the hospital room, it makes it damn, it makes it practically impossible for him to play in high altitudes. Thus, of course, when the Steelers would have to play road games in Denver, as much as, and one like, you know, Ryan Clark goes out there and jogs and, you know, he collapses on the field. No, it, it, it basically, it would be the equivalent essentially of him 
flirt of of him essentially going in in 2020 going into a covid going into the hospital with a bunch of covid patients without a mask on it wasn't like you know he'll drop he'll drop dead at the snap of a finger but it's you know you know you're flirting with you're flirting with you're flirting with uh you're flirting with danger and he couldn't play he desperately Desperately, desperately, desperately wanted to play wildcard game. The Steelers were the defending AFC champions that season, 2011. Wildcard game, they were on the road and played against the Denver Broncos, who had won the division 8-8. Eight and eight. And he wanted to play. Steelers coming off, Steelers in a season where their goal, they had to do it the long way because it didn't win the division that year. The Ravens did. But they're like, hey, we got to make it back to the Super Bowl, run it back and get and get back to the Super Bowl and redeem ourselves here. Playoff game. It, and it isn't, and listen, it's not like baseball. It's not like hockey. It's not like basketball where you have a playoff series where if I can't play in Denver, Fine, but I'm at least I'm gonna make sure I make my contributions when we play home when we play home games. It's not like where you know Ryan Clark he can't play in he can't play in Denver in games uh three four and five three four and five, but he's still able to participate in the series in games one and two. No no no, it's just football. When I go home, and he wanted to play desperately, wanted to move that try to move heaven and earth to play. Head coach Mike Thomas didn't let him. He was like, no, in this situation, when it comes to your health, your well-being as not just a per, a, pl- a player that I coach and just a and just a statistic on on my roster sheet, you're a human being. I got it. when it comes to looking at you as far as a human being and your health and your well-being. I got to look at you as if you are my child. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what Tomlin said, and. And he didn't let him play. Steelers lost the game, but you got to weigh the pros and cons. Was it worth having Ryan, sending Ryan Clark out there, having him damn near almost die? Yeah, Steelers win a playoff game, but Ryan Clark is in the local Denver hospital fighting for his life. So, like, at, at what point does life and the things in life, as far as your health and well-being and matter of life, at what point does it become bigger than wins and losses? And I think that essentially is also what the young head coach Mike McDaniel has to learn. Not everything, it can't be about winning and losing all the time. And that was a playoff game. And Mike Tomlin said, you're not playing. One of his better players, a star player on his defense that is that, Super Bowl, that won a Super Bowl uh, two, three seasons prior and a playoff game. Where if they lose, that's it. See in September. A playoff game. And Mike Thomas said, I care about you too much as an individual, as a person, and care about your health too much to uh, for and I would be and it would be irresponsible and negligent on my part for me to put you for me to essentially throw you into the lion's den, knowing good and full well knowing good and full well that the odds are stacked up against you for you to make it out of there for you to make it out on the other side unscathed. That was a playoff game, and Mike Thomas said, nope, we're not doing it. Week four, Thursday night. Come on, Mike McDaniel, you're better than that. And I don't know about you, Ian, but but the energy, and, and it may sound like a, a you know, a 
and it may not be a necessarily politically correct thing to say, but the energy, but after that, it sucked all the life and all the energy out of the game. I mean, I, 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 I me, my, I mean, I was, I was hyped. I, I haven't been hyped and this energetic for a bank for a Bengals game literally since literally since the Super Bowl. Like I was pumped, I was jumping up, I couldn't sit still. My adrenaline, my energy was at, was 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 through the roof. I was pumped, I was hyped, I was ready for this game. And then the Tua injury happened and it's like all the energy that I had, you know, leading up to the game and in the first two in the first quarter and a half of the game, I saw and I get and I see Tua going to the fencing position getting Carted off and rushed to the hospital. First level shock trauma in a stretcher, and then all the energy was gone. Stadium dead silent. He could hear a rat piss on cotton for fifteen minutes. I don't know about you, but it it, it didn't it didn't destroy the game because a a obviously be you know a little you know insensitive to say and b that also that wasn't the case. But it's but you 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 would be a fool lying to yourself if you if you didn't think. That Tua's energy didn't affect your, didn't affect your experience watching the game, and then suck the energy out of the building. Am I right or wrong on that? Uh, you you're right. Um, it's just at that point sometimes, not just as a player, but just as a fan, just that like stuff like that. You kind of put like your feelings aside, how like much you don't like like the team you're playing up against. Cause you know you want your team to win, but it's like. You know, there's just someone else's kid out there. There's someone, there's someone's life. You know, someone's brother and everything. Someone's son. At some point, you just gotta look past the game. You just like that's a human being. That's someone who God created. That's God's children right out there. And at that point, you just can't be selfish like that. But um, you know, one last thing I I say as I'm about to get off. But um, I uh, real quick, I want to talk about these daggone Seahawks. Uh, well, can can I say one thing? Then we get to him. Yeah. One last thing. I know how you feel about it, but you obviously you cannot be a fan or a member of the media and had zero issue or brushed it off like it was like it like it was like it wasn't anything when all back in August when Aaron Donald literally was a was a concussion machine was a, was creating concussions and was a, and and was wrecking havoc and was literally a menace on the football field swinging helmets at other grown men other people's heads you you can't be mum on that and be silent on and be silent on that and have no issue with that and screaming yeah and then and then talk out of both sides of your mouth and then stand the same breath and and be up in arms screaming about the two of them the two can't coexist and don't sit up here and tell me, well, it doesn't matter. Preseason, it happened in practice, not in a game. What's the NFL has no laws, has no control. Nonsense, bullcrap, hogwash. The bottom line is, if you're really that upset, if you're that bothered by player safety, and player safety is something that is deemed important to the National Football League and to the game of football, there should be no. I tell you something right now. At minimum, this week on Monday night, and all I, if I was the commissioner. This Monday should be Aaron Donald's first game in the 2022 season. He's at minimum. I don't. I want to hear no crap. And I said at the time, I'll scream y'all. Say it again. I don't want to hear any crap 
about about well ring ceremony and 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 well, excuse me banner raising ceremony NBC ratings I could care less I could wipe my ass with the NBC TV ratings I I could give a gosh damn about the NBC TV ratings like I said before I said it if Stafford Cup Josh Allen on a football field will live if Aaron Donald isn't playing. You cannot scream and yell and sit up there about about this about the this horrible situation with Tua. And then a month ago, back in August, it was ho hum ah, what are you gonna do when Aaron Donald sitting up here swinging and clubbing football helmets at other grown man's heads during a during a during a dopey uh, uh, joint uh, training camp practice? Am I right or wrong on that? You're right. Got too much to say about that. Uh, you kind of just took everything I had to say. So, your Seahawks quickly. Um, you know, um, just going into the season, I didn't have too much high expectations. But like I said, that week one beating the Broncos is like winning the Super Bowl. Um, again, talk about how co- head coaches Anthony wasn't it Anthony Hackett. <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett. Hey, same thing, yo. He's a terrible coach. Um, you know, realistically, Russell so far still stayed in Seattle. Kind of stupid for that. I'm not just because I'm biased. I'm just like not really doing any better. But anyway, um, I watched the game on Sunday, and um, Geno Smith did his thing. That's I can't say too much about Geno Smith. Played amazing. You know, he got sacked the last two, um, on the last drive, you know, second to last drive, he got sacked twice. It's like, I can't get mad at that because, you know, basically the whole game he went, he, he went untouched, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to fault him for that, but uh, the, the person I'm going to fault is uh, that defense. That defense was atrocious. Um, the only time they played good was week one. Week two, they played. I, I I was I was watching game week two. I was speechless. I I was I was I was excited for week because of week one. I was like, okay, yeah, like we when we come up. I think we could beat San Fran. They come out, we went to bed like that, and our only score was on special team. I'm granted that San Francisco defense is nothing to play with. They've that defense is good, you know. Joey Boats, Nick Bosa is doing his thing. Fred Warner doing his thing, you know. Just Eric, Eric Armstead. That defense is 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 good, you know. I'm mean, gonna give them the respect, give them their flowers, but you know, I just go to I just go back to last Sunday, and I'm like, like we tackling high and everything. We're not getting low and wrapping up. We being lazy, you know. We can't get a stop. We got we they Atlanta punted the ball one time. I could have sworn I was watching. The 2017 Falcons while they were driving down the field. I mean, we were letting Cordell Patterson run all over us and everything. Defense was tired. And because you can't use the excuse that they that we always use, that the offense wasn't scoring, you know, offense punting the ball. We punted the ball one time. The offense was scoring. It was taking up time. You know, we were driving and everything. So, I, I'm confused. Like, you can't say you were tired because we were scoring. For most of the game, it was once they score, we score. Once they score, we score. We scored. Like, I just not only turnover was that little dopey interception and the half that don't even matter. It's by Tariq Willing, grateful. I like I, I like to Tariq Willing. He's a good guy, good cornerback. I hopefully he can come to Nutrition Shine and lock stuff down. I mean, that speed is amazing. But 
I just you really realize that Bobby, Bobby Wagner was that heart and soul of that defense. I mean, well, I don't know what Cody Barton was doing, but <laughs> I, like, I, I'm like, who is this guy? Like, he, it's, I just, I, I don't, I don't know what to say about the defense now. And Jamal Adams is out for the year again. This is like the thirst. This Negro can never say. <laughs> we're paying this guy to be on injury reserve. And I mean, one, I'll give him his credit. At least he can fill the gap and everything. Like, last week, Cordero Patterson, they ran a stretch play to the outside. The safety, you know, normally, like, safety, when the safety sees like a ball can runner, they crash down immediately. This guy waits. Even even if even even it was a half it was a half a second, but again that's time. He's he's late on that and they score a touchdown. Like I'm not a safety or nothing, but like once you see that, like you gotta once you see the ball carrier coming towards you, you gotta crash. You can't be scared or nothing. I mean, especially when you're playing strong safety, because I feel like it's a mix between safety and linebacker. I mean, when you talk about strong safety, think about guys like Troy Palmalu, Camp Chancellor, Ronnie Lott. Dude, dudes who can hit, dudes who you know you we gonna you gonna make you pay for real. Like when you when you come over the middle, you come over the top. Like we gonna lay the wood and everything. Especially when you have guys like that, and it's just like Quandre Dix is good, but you know, I feel we just paid him this offseason. He dropped two interceptions. He dropped one against Denver. It was like a punt. He dropped one against um San Francisco. Even though you know, good thing he dropped it because it would put us in better field position. But it's like ah, uh, and it's like. Last thing, it's like everything offensively is weird. Everything offensively is moving correctly. Now, I wish DK Metcalf, Tarlock could be in the game, but you know, they're going to double, they're going to run, um, they're going to double cover them and everything. They're going to be, it's the tight ends and everything, the running backs, and our run game is cool. All of us line has been great. Charles Cross has been amazing. Abraham Lucas, uh, um, uh, um, right tackle. It's been, I mean, he's got a couple penalties. I mean, little man downfield, but that's like, it's, you can fix that. It's it's nothing like that, and then the only problem is Damian Lewis. He be holding too much, but again, like he he's no who cost us Sunday because I'm holding calls, which made us punt. We was again still driving. Is if this if I'm gonna say this now? I had two hot takes real quick before I jump off here. First hot take is I feel like if defense can get straightened up, I feel like there's a strong possibility. Strong possibility we get one of the division and that we can make the wild card by the seventh seed. I really do believe that because the way Matthew Stafford is playing right now, I don't know. I don't. He can. It's Matthew Stafford already from Detroit, but not the Matthew Stafford who just won a Super Bowl. I mean, this division always has weakness. You got Arizona who collapsed all the time. You got Jimmy G who played ter who played terrible Sunday night. I wasn't gonna watch that game. <laughs> I didn't watch the game. I didn't want to. You know, sometimes when you watch, you don't watch games. You watch the highlights. I I didn't bother watching that. You got um, then you got uh, Los Angeles. The Rams who are good, but like they funky because got they just a little bit upgraded Jared Goff. So me personally, do I think we can still win a division? Yes. Do a lot of people think so? No. My last hot take before I get off there it was a pleasure being on here. Is um, you know. One of the teams I think is going to NFC Championship, realistically. Don't, don't, don't say anything stupid. Is the Eagles. I mean. Oh, it's not bad. 
I mean, that boy Jalen Hurts. That's a bad dude right there. Yeah. And, when you, and you got and you got AJ Brown, who really, you know, I'm always stick with DK. He's the best out of that draft class, but AJ Brown makes it hard. I mean, what that boy did in Tennessee and what he's bringing over to Philadelphia. I mean, absolutely sensational. And that D de- and that defense. Oh my gosh, I'm not a big Darius Slay fan, but he's been doing his thing. And stuff that really, you know, solidifies me. Why I think so is that uh, that front four. But when you got Fletcher Cox and that other defensive tackle, and you draft this giant, and um, what's the date? What's it? last name is Davis? What's the name? Uh, for for Philly. Uh, you talking about Darius Slay? No, talking about the defensive tackle. Uh, I love him up. Davis, I forgot his last name, but like to the point where like you know he's I mean he's a beast. He was amazing. I think he played at Bama. I think. But he was amazing, and like the fact like he's not even starting because you know they already got two other good defensive tackles, Jordan Davis. There you go. You did have to look at that up. Look, look, at, just, look, look, look. See, the, you, you can tell he's my brother. With he don't have to look stuff up. He can recall things chapter and verse. Go ahead. It's just that you know, like he's a beast. Like honestly, he's I, we need him on Seattle. That's who I wanted. That's who I wanted us to get in the draft. Realistically, first round pick. But even then, like, he's still on the bench, and, he's, you know, he's waiting for his time. You know, he's probably be a monster. I mean, now the whole thing, which is another team like this. I forgot who else is like this. But everything else lines up in Philly's favor. If Jalen Hurts can keep doing what he's doing, and he's playing amazing, and I'm not a huge – I don't really, like, like the Eagles like that, but I they, going, they can go to the Super Bowl. Uh, there's not another team I put I, – they can be – I feel like they can be Tampa. I feel like they can definitely beat the Rams. Um, they can stomp all over the Cowboys. You know, Cooper Rush, Dak Prescott. I don't care who's a captain. I don't care who's a quarterback of that team. I I knew Philadelphia was ready to eat when the East. Once they made all those moves and everything, I dare to slay on one side and then James Bradbury on the other side. Yep. Whew. <laughs> Whew. Man. Dangerous. Y'all have fun throwing on that team, y'all. I don't care who you got at the safety. You got them two, them two dudes on the outside, like a nine-year number one and number two. Uh. Have luck beating that, and then you gotta find time to drop back and everything, and run the football on that front four. Then you got Jalen Hurts playing like the way he is, and then again, that's another thing. Like they, they don't got a pass. They got Miles Sanders, too, and they got an amazing O line too. That's that's recipe for disaster. As long as they can stay, they can they can stay healthy. Jalen Hurts can be doing his thing. The defense stays hot. That's that that's that's the team you're gonna is either gonna be Bills, Eagles, Bengals, Eagles, who bring whoever you want out the AFC. But I feel like the Eagles can take this thing all the way. I don't I don't there's not another NFC team that's stronger enough to be not not an NFC team that competes with them. Bring up a team bring up the Rams, I don't care. You say, Oh, Aaron Donald, Jason Kelsey gonna lock him up. Lane Johnson gonna lock up him. If he starts to run outside, I don't bro. Jalen Ramsey, okay, Jalen Ramsey can lock up Jalen Brown. What about Devontae Smith? <laughs> what about Dallas Goddard? I mean, and then you got the Bucks, the only team who can compete. But again, that's all. That's all. That depends on Chris Godwin and uh, Julio Jones' old self. They can stay healthy. Even then, I feel like Brady's gonna have a hard time dropping back because you know the O line isn't looking great. So that's that's what I gotta say. Honestly, I hate saying this, but go Hawks. Um, our final record, I think we may be, is I think we may at least have six months. Hopefully, we can beat Detroit this this um this Sunday. And, you know they they out they out um they don't got a uh, St. Brown dude or Devontae uh, Swift I think 
Yeah. You know, we know how to play against Jared Goff. I, I think we should win Sunday. Would I be surprised if we lost? No, because you know it's Pete Carroll. Um, I just I don't I don't I don't like him. I don't like him. I wish he's fired. But um, you know, Gino's supposed to be doing his thing. Um, I'll give Pete credit one. I'll give Pete Pete Carroll credit. Beginning of the season, I want Drew Locke, but I see what he saw in Gino. Gino has been doing his thing. You know, he's and the great thing about him is he's not forcing stuff down the field. He's gonna take what's open, and I love that. Even though I want him to throw the ball deep down the field with DK, but you can see what the run did for us last week. AJ Terrell didn't know what to do. Uh, the, the rest of the defense didn't know what to do. Atlanta's defense didn't know what to do. We shot and play action and everything. And tight ends, no offense. That's a beast. But uh, thank you for having me on my show, on your show. Um, <laughs> you got it, man. It's been a pleasure, but uh, go Hawks. You couldn't tell that my family has the gift of the gab from that. Uh, he basically put on his own show, breaking down the Seahawks and, of course, the uh, Tua situation. Uh, we will take a break. We'll be right back with the I'm Telling Tell You podcast on the Sunday action of week four. Don't go anywhere. Back in the flash. To the Amatelica TIS podcast. We switch gears to the action going on Sunday in week four. And let me just say, get it out the way before we get to the marquee game. They have some, you ever see the schedule for the, for, the, for the four o'clock window of games coming up on Sunday? I mean, these are some borderline damn near unwatchable football games. I mean, let me, if I can sit up here, if I can find it. They got there are some unwatchable games on sun on Saturday or excuse me Sunday afternoon at um at uh, in the four in the four o'clock window. Uh, I see. I had it on my screen and all of a sudden it's gone. I mean, what the? Okay, here we go. Uh, so three games in the four o'clock window. One that starts at four o'clock and the other two and it's CBS's week. To get to have the 425 game of the week. Listen to these three games. Cardinals at Panthers. Patriots at Packers. Broncos at the Raiders. Cardinals and Panthers is a game that the Cardinals should win because the Panthers are that damn pathetic. 
Uh, well, because Baker Mayfield stinks. They have they have no quarterback, and Chris McCaffrey is injured. What the hell else is new? And then the two games on CBS. Not that the Patriots are an exciting football team to watch under Mac Jones to begin with, anyway. But the fact that he's that he that he's not playing in the game, and you get Brian Hoyer instead going up against Aaron Rod going up against Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, when their when their offense has you know been the hasn't been the most entertaining through the first three weeks of the season. That game was a complete bore, and then Broncos and Raiders. The only reason why that game has a little bit in a little bit of in, of intrigue to it is because it's a, because it's a divisional game. The Broncos are tied with the Chiefs first place in the AFC West, and the Raiders are, you know, trying to get off the Schneid as the only 0-3 team in football. But the four o'clock games this weekend are are not very good games. Let's look and see what uh week five's games uh what week five's games look like. Uh let me see, let me see, let me see at four o'clock. And and it's and and the thing that makes it worse is that there's only three games. You don't you don't get you don't get four. You don't get five. You get the three. And if and listen, to, this is week five. 49ers and Panthers. That's the four o five regional game on CBS. Fourth and then Eagles and Cardinals isn't terrible. And Cowboys and Rams isn't terrible, but you know it's it's Cooper Rush. So we okay. So week five isn't bad. It's better than this week. So let's go week six, and then we'll get into the week four games. Week six. Week six. The yeah, wow. Week six is 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 worse or about equally. Eh, a li- it's only a little bit better than this week's slate of games for one reason. One reason only. The Bills Chiefs four twenty five on CBS is the is the is the national game of the week. That 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 saves the slate. The two four oh five games that Fox has, I mean Panthers and and Panthers and Rams and Seahawks and Cardinals, really. But anyway, I had to get that off my chest. Speaking of a week, speaking of a week, going back to week four. You got some, you know. You got a couple of games that really, you know, sh- uh, that really uh, fits your fancy um, to pay attention to. Real only really four of them: Bills and Ravens, Jags and Eagles, uh, Chiefs and Bucks Sunday night, and then Rams and Forty ers on Monday night. Uh, first things first: the Chiefs and one and a person that I'm in a um, group chat on with on Twitter. Uh, by the name of Michael Jett, who's a photographer that that photograph who's direct who's a director of photography down in Atlanta, Georgia, who photographs and takes videos of of many different college football and and, uh, and NFL games. He said he said this uh, he said this earlier today on Friday, and it's not a bad it's not a bad point. He argues that every single game on the every single game. On the NFL slate, from week one to week seven, week one to week seventeen, uh, should be uh, a vet should be liable to be flexed, and I don't think that. Now I understand where he's coming from, and he's not entirely wrong on that uh, on that premise. 
But the only reason why I tend to not fully 100% agree with them is because where is the consistency with the schedule? Play, you know, players, it's a routine. It's about a body clock. You know, getting ready to play a game at 1 o'clock and all of a sudden, you know, early part of preparation week, they realize they don't have to be in the state, be at the stadium until four hours later because the game got moved from 1 o'clock to 425. It got moved from 425 to the Sunday night game. And this, and then you get yourself in trouble because you can flex games in the same, you know, you can flex games of the week of or a few weeks before the game. You can flex it within the Sunday window, but you can't necessarily flex it. And then you throw off the whole team's regimen and routine if you flex them to a Monday night, flex them to a Monday night game. I understand it's going to be the, it's going to be like that. Thank God, you know, flexing for Monday night football down the road, but that's later, but that's later in the season when uh you know when it's imperative that the league gets uh, gets you know playoff contenders and competitive teams in their national primetime tv windows you know when the se- when the season gets when the season gets into the you know gets into the thick of it and we get closer and closer uh you know into the uh you know closer and closer uh and deeper and deeper into the playoff chase but uh but on but based going off of the four o'clock schedule that I read to you just now, the the flexibility from weeks one to seventeen, at least at minimum going by you know, going by his uh his his requests weeks four through through four through eighteen isn't the worst thing in the is not the worst thing in the world. Cause like I said, the four o'clock games this week stink. They are borderline damn near unwatchable. I mean, let me. I mean, again, let me ask you a question. And and I'm not talking to the Green Bay Packer fan out there. All right, please. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather watch Bills versus Ravens, two best quarterbacks in the AFC that have gotten off the hot starts in Josh Allen and uh, and Lamar Jackson, who all who who are of the same draft class, by the way, 2018. Would you rather watch those two and those? Would you rather watch those two quarterbacks and thus though their two football teams play each other at 4:25 on Sunday afternoon, or would you watch Aaron Rodgers and the Packers ham and egg themselves to a to a Boring twenty-four to six win over the uh, over the New England Patriots. Pick one. You rather watch you rather watch the uh, the Packers win in a boring defensive slugfest. Uh, you know, uh, going up against the New England Patriots team that lacks that lacks firepower and lacks a superstar on both sides of the ball. Or would you rather watch? Bills versus Ravens. I understand it can't be the Sunday night game because how in the world can you flex Mahomes versus Mahomes versus Brady? I get that, but Sunday night you know leave it alone. And the Monday night game is good too, rematch of the NFC Championship game with the defending champs. So Monday night and Sunday night's games are untouchable from a hypothetical flexing standpoint. But I mean, the fact that this game isn't the four twenty five game of the week on CBS should be should be a federal crime. I mean, I understand that CBS because they because they predominantly do AFC games and the Packers are an NFC team and the Packers the majority of the games that in the majority of their Sunday games, Sunday afternoon games are played on Fox. 
But I mean, so they get, you know, once or twice a year, sometimes three, depending if the schedule breaks their way, if they get lucky. But once or twice a year, CBS does a pack, does, you know, does Green Bay Packer games and, and Jim and Jim, Tony and the crew only get us only get one or two opportunities a season to go up to a Lambeau field and do a game. Uh, up up in uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. So I get that. I understand that. But there is no excuse whatsoever why why that even with Mac Jones playing. I mean the I, Brady ain't on the team no more, guys. He ain't coming through that door. I mean Mac Jones is not exactly provide the same buzz and feel going up against Aaron Rodgers as Tom Brady did a la the game last week. So bottom line and I and I even mentioned it I I am 95% sure I even I mentioned this and said something about this when the schedule came out back in May how I was how and we hadn't even played any games yet but I how I was floored that the Ravens and Bills you know two teams with two superstar quarterbacks that can sling it that are of the same draft class that have Super Bowl aspirations and 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 they're playing a one o'clock game on and they're playing a one o'clock and they're playing at one o'clock instead of at four twenty five again Sunday night Monday night I grant you you know they, you can't you not a chance in hell nor should you you know flex out of uh, Mahomes going up against Brady and then the Monday night game is good because it's a vi- it's a divisional game these two fight like these two fight like hell and the games are always scrappy tough competitive they played each other twice within a within a two three week period back in January of the back of this January of the previous season rematch in the NFC Championship so I got no problem. With that being the Monday night game, but the fact that 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 Bills Ravens isn't on Sunday night, I mean, I mean, what are we doing, NFL? My goodness gracious me! But uh, but anyway, that's getting off the beaten path. This should be a hell of a football game. Uh, the, it'd be interesting and intriguing to see how the Buffalo Bills bounce back uh, off of that uh, off of that deflating loss. Now, the, if you want to take a, if you want to find the silver lining and want to find the positive from uh, and want to find the positive from Losing the game on Sunday on uh, Sunday against uh, Miami in Miami is that look he don't have to worry about and they don't have to worry about any talks of any undefeated season. There's no unneeded pressure. They got the first not necessarily out of the way, but they dealt with their first loss early in the season. So where it does become a big thing, they don't have to stress themselves worrying about playoff seating and. All the other so they you know it's a bad bad loss. Your offense went crazy yardage wise, and you only able to put up uh, seventeen offensive points. You know, flip the page and move on. It's on to the next one. I expect Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills to have a bounce back game offensively. I think and I think and I and we mentioned on Tuesday how the Ravens offense has had zero issues. Uh, has had ze- has had zero issues putting the ball in the end zone and scoring points so far this season. The lowest amount of points scored thus far this season was Week One when they scored 27 against the Jets. They've scored 30 or more. They've scored 30 plus points in back to back games. So if anything, I feel like this is going to be a li- a huge litmus test for the Buffalo Bills defense because because you look at through outside of the outside of the Rams. Uh, the uh, well outside of the Rams, the uh, the Bills defense hasn't gone up against a big time offense in the AFC yet this season. 
this has the opportunity to be a big time litmus test for them to see uh will they you know because Lamar Jackson who leads the league in touchdown passes he's he's scored more touchdowns throwing and passing he's scored more touchdowns this season than than every single team in the NFL this year every single team in the NFL thus far at this point in the season except for one in the Detroit Lions how will the Buffalo Bills defense respond to that and limit the big plays? Because that's nothing that the Ravens have done really well too. That's and that's led to their scoring is capitalizing off the big plays. Whether it's the big runs from Lamar Jackson or the big time throws with his arms to Duvernay and uh, and Rashad Bateman downfield, this is going to be a test for the Buffalo Bills defense. Let me see. Let me. Let me this, this is a show me what you got game. If you're a top stout defense. You cannot you cannot let Lamar Jackson you know in his own building get comfortable get into a rhythm and you know throw for three hundred three hundred thirty five passing yards throw for three touchdowns run for one on and you know on on uh, eight carries for ninety seven yards I mean you can you can't you can't have that and I understand Josh Allen's all world. But uh, you know, and last week was a was a case in point. The offense can't go down the field. They're human, you know. They're human. They're not perfect. They're not robots. Not every single offensive possession that uh, that you're going to get if you're Buffalo, you're it's a guarantee that you're going to put the ball in the end zone. The defense got to go out there and make the stops and keep their opponent from uh, from uh, from putting from uh, crossing the ball and putting it uh, into the end zone, which they were not able to do against Miami last week. One reason why they lost, albeit Buffalo uh, had over 400 uh, total yards of offense, is because again we and we said it on Tuesday, Miami was three of three in the red zone and Buffalo was two of four. So, so if you're Buffalo and the Ravens draw out these long drives, you know, and they're knocking on the door, got the ball inside uh, the 10 yard line, and every single time they're in the red zone, they they put, you know, they end up scoring, and Buffalo goes a drive or so where they, for whatever the reason, they can't they can't put up six points on the regular, and then you know, you know, your chances of your chances of winning automatically go down. But I think it's I think that this game for Buffalo isn't so much about. You know, Allen, because I do believe I, I don't. I think the Ravens' defense, compared to other seasons, at least as of right now, hopefully, knock on wood, doesn't come back to bite me in the ass uh, come next Sunday night. But the Baltimore Ravens' defense, on the surface, at this point through the first three weeks of the season, does not appear as that good. It's regressed instead of progressed. If anything, uh, they cannot generate a pass rush whatsoever. Uh, you see, you see more often than you would like if you're a Ravens fan. Soft coverage with your corners. Harris had a big time game uh, up in their game with their game, or in, excuse me, in their game against New England and Foxborough, as we discussed earlier this week. So, it, so I have no doubt that the Buffalo Bills offense will be able to bounce back and score some points. You know, no less than no less than three touchdowns in this game. Uh, if they score less than three touchdowns, this game would be absolutely floored. Uh, but they're good. They're good for 21 points. I feel like the problem is is will the Buffalo Bills defense keep the Buffalo Bills offense in the game and limit the scoring? Because really, through the, again, first three weeks and all three of the games the Ravens have played, they've been able to score no less than no less than 27 points. So they scoring 27, and in back-to-back games, you're scoring in the 30s. 
So the Ravens' offense looks like, at least at the moment, for at for now at this moment in time, that the Ravens' offense is is, is clicking on all cylinders. Albeit Lamar Jackson has been the best play, has been the best player on the field and arguably the best quarterback in the sport right now. He's he's played uh, he's he's played like literally like like his like his life is dependent on it as you know in terms of with in terms of him getting a contract with a paycheck. But he's he's done a sensational job. Can the can the Ravens defense pick up the slack and not allow Josh Allen to sling it all over the place uh, to the to Stephon Diggs and company? Uh, like many other defenses, has been outside of uh, well, even Miami's because they did a lot, but they kept them out of the end zone. Though that's the key thing. Uh, with Jacksonville and the Eagles, this is not. If you would have told me when the season started, uh, back at the beginning of this month, as we're here on the final day of the month, September, flashback twenty nine days ago to the first day of the month. If you would have told, if you would have told me that uh, that Jaguars and Eagles would be a must watch game. In week four of the NFL, I'd have been, I, I wouldn't give you the old line, I'd have you drug tested, but I would give you that, 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 that surprise gift. But this is a very intriguing, interesting football game. The Jacksonville Jaguars right now, currently, you pull up the stats, or excuse me, pull up the standings here in the AFC, coming off of a, and a game, now the, the, the Los Angeles Chargers are injured the hell and back. Nobody's healthy. Brandon Stilley doesn't have a damn clue. He's got a starting franchise quarterback out in the game, and, and I still playing in a game down thirty-eight ten, where his team's getting his ass kicked all up and down the field, and uh, in, in, in September no less. And he's got a star quarterback out there playing. Staley's lost. Don't know which way is up. What else is new? But uh, but he's got his quarterback out there playing. It seems to Helen back. No Rashawn Slater for the rest of the season. And the Jaguars walk into SoFi Stadium and punch the heavily favored uh, Los Angeles Chargers in the mouth. And you, and all of a sudden you wake up and they're two and one in first place week four in the in the AFC South. I mean, what a sensational, sensational job that uh, Doug Peterson has done in his first year as head coach of the, Jack, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. This will be a litmus test, not for the Eagles. Now, this could be a trap game for the Eagles. They let their guard down. They get a little sloppy on offense. Kemp put the ball in the end zone. Uh, Jalen Hurts spinning his wheels behind center and a couple of lax moments from the defense. And this could be a game that, you know, this could be upset special city and Doug Peterson's return to Philadelphia. But uh, but if the but if the Eagles are but if the Eagles you know keep their heads on straight, this could be a big time litmus test for um for Jacksonville in determining in, in determining yes in determining whether or not uh you know are they essentially the Cincinnati Bengals of this 2022 season are they to be taken as legit. Uh, contenders for a division that's very much up for grabs in 2022, or are they still a ways away and not there with the Philadelphia Eagles of the world talent-wise, in terms of, in terms of their competitive level as a football as a as a as a competitive contending football team coming up later down the road. But if the but if the Jaguars walk into Philadelphia, beat the Eagles. They they could be that team that no one sees coming that finds their way making the playoffs. I do I if they went on Sunday and take down the undefeated Eagles, I I would not put it past them by any by any 
any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and as for the Eagles, you know they 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 can do they can do no wrong. The Eagles coming off of that coming off of yet another uh, victory uh, at Washington, beating the uh, beating the Commanders. They return home. Justin Fields on top of the world. All they got to do is just not lie down and die and sleepwalk through the game, and they should be. Uh, in decent shape, keep you know Darius Slay, who's had a hell of a beginning of, to the 2022 campaign, make uh, Trevor Lawrence sweat a little bit, make him nervous uh, in the pocket, uh, and we should be in for an intriguing football game as game number two. Game number three is a Sunday night game between the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Kansas City Chiefs, who were just sloppy, sloppy, sloppy as hell against the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. I mean, what the hell are we doing? I didn't address it Tuesday. I'll address it I'll address it here with the with the uh <laughs> I'll address it here with the given the of course given the opportunity. What in the world is Andy Reid doing running a fake punt on a fourth and ten? I mean Andy, you got the you got Patrick Mahomes it's it's literally are we doing are we doing the same damn thing with the with uh, with Nathaniel Hackett I mean, it's four, it's fourth and ten. You might as well leave your offense on the field and try and and try and just convert and just convert it with your offense on the field. Fourth and ten, we're running fake punts. I mean, I got Sky Moore, my offensive rookie player of the year pick. It looks like it's going to hell and going up in smoke. I mean, dropping and muffing punts. I mean, what the hell are we doing, Kansas City? And again, I don't care how many times they can say it, they can lie to themselves so they blow in the face. There is, there is the Chiefs desperately, all capitalized, desperately miss Tyreek Hill. They can deny it, and they can, and they, and they can say otherwise until they blow in the face. They can sit up here and try to can and, and pull that George can say that old line that uh, George Costanza said on Seinfeld. It's not a lie. Uh, it's not. It's not a lie. If you believe it, no, 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 bullcrap. They missed Tyreek Hill. Now, on the same token, the Bucks miss Gronkowski. They miss Gronkowski a lot. He, their offense has not been the same without him, and I think that needs to be said and that needs to be mentioned that they have missed Rob Gronkowski tremendously. They'll get Mike Evans back off of the suspension. The game is going to stay in uh, Tampa because, thank God, Hurricane Ian, no, not my brother, but Hurricane Ian, uh, was able to uh, was able to av- was able to avoid the Tampa area. Th- uh, thank God for that. Uh, meanwhile, wrecking havoc on quite a few other places and a few other uh, small towns uh, and residencies in the Tampa Bay area. God bless. Uh, God bless the people down there praying for you. Uh, but you know, so the so the game will be in Tampa, but you know, it, it, I don't I tell you this, don't be surprised if if the final if you're essentially watching a repeat of Dallas versus Tampa week one, where you know one or two one where the team that scores you know two touchdowns first will win the game, and kicks the and kicks the most field goals. I a lot of these games very low score Monday night game low scoring Thursday night relatively low scoring until late um, and the and as a matter of fact the the not the kickoff game but the three Thursday night games on Amazon have been relatively 
uh, low sc- have uh, have been moderately scoring. I won't say low scoring, but moderately scoring. Not a whole, you know. I haven't seen a whole hell of a lot of shootouts recently to begin the season. The and then the first few Sunday night games, you know, the the week two game Packers Bears, not high scoring whatsoever. Defensive Suckfest week one in Jerry World, and then week three. Of course, it was the punt fest between the 49ers and the uh, and the Denver Broncos. I'm not saying you'll get a punt fest again this week. All I'm saying is uh, proceed with caution if you bet the over for uh, Chiefs and Bucks this week, because they you know they get Mike Evans back, but they miss Godwin, they miss Gronk. Uh, you know, there's whatever you know. It's just the, the offense for whatever the reason for Tampa thus far is just not in rhythm. I I just uh, I they just not for whatever the reason they're just not in rhythm, and from the Chiefs' perspective, they miss Hill, they miss Hill, and I'll say and I'll repeat myself again what I said earlier this week, you know, they get bored with the basic stuff, when defenses force can when defenses force Kansas City to make this to make the small to make the small. Uh, intermediate, boring, non-explosive plays to get them to move the ball downfield and to and to essentially work the clock and win the time of possession battle. They get bored, they get stale, and they are and they are quite frankly prone to making a lot of mistakes, including to including quite a few that you saw Sunday against Indianapolis. Should be a very interesting game. Don't expect it to be high scoring, but a very interesting and intriguing game, uh, battle of attrition between and a rematch of Super Bowl, a uh, Super Bowl Fifty Five, uh, and then lastly you got the Monday night game between the Rams and the Forty Niners. That'll be an interesting game uh, to see on a two on to see on two accords. A will the will the Rams that struggle against. Uh, Against the, the 49ers show up in this game. Remember, I believe I believe if I haven't read correctly that the 49 that the Rams lost the regular season uh, series against San Francisco. I know they lost uh, they lost the Week 18 game in their own their Week 18 game in their own building, but I believe they lost the regular season. Uh, season series that they did. They on November fifteenth they lost thirty one ten, and then they lost uh, in week eighteen twenty seven twenty four. So the Rams, so the San Francisco 49ers, the one team that gives the that gives uh, the Sean McVay led Rams the most fits as his tenure as the uh, Rams head coach since two thousand seventeen over the last uh, what hard to believe five years now. Will we see another dog fight? between the Rams and the 49ers and will the Rams for a change pulling out at least in the regular season against San Francisco and will the 49ers have revenge on the mind in terms of what Aaron Donald and that Rams defense did to Jimmy Garoppolo and company to close out the NFC championship uh, back in January we take a break get to a couple of baseball items and week four picks against the spread this is the I'm Tell I Can Tell You this podcast
Welcome back to the um, Telekitiaiz podcast. Before we get to the week four picks, a couple of baseball items I want to get to. A, Aaron Judge, congratulations to him. He tied Roger Maris for the uh, for the American League and Yankees franchise single season home run record earlier this week while the team was in Toronto. Uh, he re- he and the he and his Yankee squad returned home to, uh, to for a three game weekend series against my pathetic, uh, and they have been pathetic not this season but during the month of September they have just been disgusting and offensive to the damn senses to watch. Uh, they return home to take on my Baltimore Orioles, which I am for sure and certain as I'm sitting in this chair will happen. Uh, before the weekend is out, unless the Orioles literally do something that they should have been doing all year long. That's walking judge. But anyway, this ain't about the worst. It's about Aaron Judge. He ties Roger Maris 61 earlier this week. Congratulations to him. We give him his flowers. He had a hard time. It turns out me screaming and yelling about the peacock was all for nothing. Because uh, we thought he was going to hit the home run on peacock. And then Sunday afternoon came away didn't do anything. And then... Uh, and then he had less opportunities on Sunday night because the because uh, the game got called uh, in six games with a rain out up in the Bronx. But he returns home, uh, Yankees quick road trip, and then right back home to take on the Orioles for the final time this season. These two teams have not played each other uh, in they have not played each other since uh, since the weekend coming out of the All Star break in mid late August. They have not played each other in New York since I want. Well, not I. I don't have to want to say. I can go ahead and check right now. They have not played each other in New York since May the twenty fifth. So they have not played each other in New York since May twenty fifth, and they haven't played each other. Period. Since the Yankees came to Baltimore. The weekend coming out of the All-Star break, uh, July 22nd through the 24th, in which the Yankees took two out of three, winning the lone game in that series, the middle game on that Saturday night, which, of course, yours truly uh, was in the building for. Um, but he gets a 61. Well, not He will get to a 62 with a full weekend slate of games and, of course, the front end of... Uh, of uh of uh next week on the calendar closing out the regular season on when on uh on uh Wednesday he's one home run he'll get it at least one would imagine uh for him to get the for him to claim the Yankee franchise and the American League single season uh home run record uh we also have a big time series i we also have a big time series going on in major league baseball down in atlanta between the new york mets and the uh and the atlanta braves it's the final uh series final meeting with those two in atlanta final meeting between those two teams for the 2022 season the mets enter into this weekend series up a game in up a game uh, over Atlanta, first place in the American League East, heading into Friday's action at ninety-eight and fifty-eight. 
Atlanta 97 and 59. The winner not not only will the will the team that wins this series not only win the division, they also will get the second seed in the National League and thus get the first round wild card by and won't have to play a best of uh best of 3 wild card series come next weekend while the loser of that series would have to and run the risk of lose of having their season end simply by losing uh two games in a th- in a uh, in a 3-day period but it's a must needed series for both of those teams as i told you at the top of the program you got uh Nemo and DeGrom going on the mound for both of these squads um uh, it, the Yank- the Mets could put themselves in great position to win the division if it took care of business tonight Braves winning on a fr- here tonight on Friday would make things a little bit more interesting that if there's one series that you got to stop what you're doing, put down everything and sit down and watch. No, it's not the Orioles and the, and the Yankees with Judge or or even Tampa taking on Houston. Houston who has the, who has the Division 1, uh, who has the Division 1 in Tampa, who although is down to, is, is flirting with, they've lost seven out of the last ten games, but who are currently flirting with uh, the with uh, you know on the brink of clinching a playoff spot, um, that's not the series either. The series to pay attention to the one lone series to pay attention to pay attention to, in the sport this weekend is happening in Atlanta between the Mets and the Braves. That's it, and this should be an interesting series, an intriguing series, and I will be into it and all over it. And we'll find a way to squeeze it in into uh, Tuesday's episode amidst the uh, you know, the uh, Week Four NFL recap. So that's where you stand as far as Major League Baseball is concerned. I wanted to touch on that, <laughs> excuse me, briefly. But it is that time. It is a Football Friday. Week Four picks against the spread in the league where they play for pay. Game number one of the Sunday slate will be at 9.30 Eastern time here in the States. Uh, about 2.30 time out across the pond in London. The Vikings, two and a half point favorites over the New Orleans Saints, who will have Andy Dalton at quarterback. No Michael Thomas for the Saints. Uh, Minnesota uh, won by the head of Chin Chin Chin, beating uh, the Lions at home last week. I feel they'll put they'll be able to put put together excuse me back to back wins, take care of business against the Saints by the final score of twenty six to fourteen. Game number two between the Cleveland Browns, who are one and a half point favorites over the Atlanta Falcons. Cleveland took care of business or uh, took care of business last time out once upon a time a little over a week ago. Uh, beating the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers in their own building on Thursday Night Football. Meanwhile, Atlanta coming off of a, a road victory of their own and a gritty-gutty victory against the Seattle Seahawks up in the Pacific Northwest. Giving the Cleveland Browns to take care of business and win this game by the final score of 28-17. to 
Game number three, highly anticipated. The game of the of the weekend, in my humble, honest opinion, between the Buffalo Bills, who are three and a half point favorites, had come down to my neck of the woods in the city of Baltimore, down at the bank, to take on Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens. Buffalo, of course, lost that heartbreaking game in the final closing seconds uh, in South Beach to the Miami Dolphins last Sunday. Uh, they look to bounce back and put to and get there uh, and to get their uh, third one of the season heading into this game at two and one. Meanwhile, the Ravens coming off of yet another victory uh, last week in Foxborough against the New England Patriots as they look to improve their mark on excuse me improve their record to three and one on the regular season. I think this is going to be a shootout and an utter classic of a game. Give me the Baltimore Ravens to win this game in an upset by the final score of 34-31. Next game on our slate is the Washington Commanders who got who are coming off of an ass-kicking of the hands of the Philadelphia Eagles last Sunday. Head, go on the road, go down south to the state of Texas and take on the Dallas Cowboys and Cooper Rush. Three-and-a-half-point favorites coming off of their gritty-gutty Monday night victory divisional rivalry game against the New York football Giants. Giving the Dallas Cowboys to take care of business in this game. The Washington defense stinks. Carson Wentz offensive line not that good. Giving the Cowboys to win this game and a 24-7 masterclass. Seattle Seahawks coming off of their home loss last week against the Atlanta Falcons. Go North to take on Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions coming off of a heartbreaking, bone-crushing loss at the hands of Dan Campbell. He, you know, fooling around with the decision when to go for it, when not to go for it. Took accountability after the game. We'll see uh, if he is able to right his wrong and if there will be an opportunity for him to right uh, his wrong in this game. Heard Ian touched on it earlier in the show. Give me the Detroit Lions to win this game by the final score of 27-2. 20. We move along with the with the Los Angeles Chargers who are five point favorites over the Houston Texans. Chargers are coming off of an ass kicking that they took surprisingly, who we mentioned early in the program, that of the hands of the Jacksonville Jaguars. They take on the Houston Texans who are coming off of a uh, loss on Sunday at the hands of the Chicago Bears. Charges of five-point favorites. Give me the Chargers. Take care of business. Win this game by the final score of 26 to 20. We move ahead to the Indianapolis Colts and the Tennessee Titans AFC South Divisional game. Both teams winning their must-needed and clutch in heart-racing uh, tense fashion last week in their respective games. Titans winning their first game of the season at home against the uh, Vegas Raiders, uh, denying the denying Derek Carr and the Raiders of, of what would have been a game-tying two-point conversion of forced overtime last week. Meanwhile, the Colts coming off of their last second victory and upset over the Kansas City Chiefs. They're favored by a field goal, giving Indianapolis to improve to... Two one and one on the season by the final score of twenty four to fourteen. The New York Football Giants, three and a half point favorites 
coming off of their Monday Night Raw short week at the hands of the Dallas Cowboys, taking on the Chicago Bears. One last second, uh, one in the closing uh, seconds against the Houston Texans last week. Give me the New York football Giants to win this game by the final score of 24-17 against the Chicago Bears. Meanwhile, you have, or ch- let's, you know what, let's change that. Let's have it 24-10, win by 14 points. Uh, and the under, by the way, for the over-under totals for those of you that bet that. You got the Jacksonville Jaguars take on the Philadelphia Eagles in an intriguing matchup, which we previewed earlier in the program. Jacksonville Jaguars' impressive victory, 2-1 first place in the AFC South, and a big-time upset on the West Coast take, uh, when they took care of business. At SoFi Stadium against uh, Justin Herbert and the Chargers, they f- they uh, fly northward to uh, to the city of brotherly love to take on the Philadelphia Eagles, who so far this season uh, can't do any wrong with Justin Fields, who is if who is uh, he and Lamar Jackson, aforementioned are the co are the uh, co leaders in the clubhouse and and are the co-leaders in the clubhouse, excuse me, an MVP uh, an MVP favorite so far through the first three weeks of the season. Eagles six-and-a-half-point favorites coming off of their victory uh, at Washington last week. Give me, the, give me the Jacksonville Jaguars to upset the Philadelphia Eagles in a 27-24 thriller. That's my upset of the week. Jacksonville over Philadelphia. The New York Jets are taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Jets coming off of their week three loss at the hands of my Cincinnati Bengals, but he's failed to put the ball in the end zone. Looks like all signs are pointing towards Zach Wilson playing in this game, making his 2022 season debut. While the Pittsburgh Steelers have had plenty of time to think about their week three Thursday night loss in Cleveland at the hands of Nick Chubb and the Cleveland Browns. Give me the Pittsburgh Steelers to win this game. In, a, in typical Pittsburgh Steelers fashion, by the final score of 22-13. The, Ad, yeah, the Arizona, I almost call them the Atlanta Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals are two-point underdogs as they, fly, as they fly to the East Coast to take on the Carolina Panthers and Charlotte two-point favorites. Give me the Arizona Cardinals to win this game. By the final score of 27 to 13. We move along to uh, the de facto quote unquote game of the week on CBS 425 game. Brian Hoyer and the New England Patriots licking their wounds literally. No Mac Jones for quite some time. Gonna have to have surgery on a, on a, on a severe high ankle sprain as they head to Lambeau to take on Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, who are 10.5 point favorites. Coming off of their gritty, gutty defensive victory down south against uh, New England's uh, former quarterback, Brady and the Bucks. Uh, give me the Green Bay Packers to take, to take care of business, winning this game by the final score of 31-2-3. The Denver Broncos, two-point favorites coming off of their uh, just unwatchable, disgusting but the wins all count the same. An 11-10 victory. Yeah, you heard that right. Only the second time in a 100-plus year history of the National Football League where the final score of a, ball, of a football of an NFL regular season game was uh, was 20, was 11-10. Uh, 
Only the second time in the history of the league in which that's happened, and the Denver Broncos on the receiving were on the winning uh, positive end of it. They head to Vegas to take on the only winless team in the AFC. That is the Vegas Raiders, uh, who cannot convert on a two-point conversion to tie the game up and force overtime against the uh, Tennessee Titans last week. They're two-point favorites. Give me the Broncos to win this game and another defensive slugfest by the final score of 21-10. We move things along with the Kansas City Chiefs, or two-and-a-half-point favorites, to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to return to the scene of Super Bowl 55 and a Super Bowl 55 rematch Sunday night football. Brady and the Bucks. Like the Raiders, couldn't get it done. Tied a game of force overtime with a two-point conversion uh, in the closing seconds of the fourth quarter last week, losing to Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Meanwhile, Kansas City coming off of their first loss of the season themselves as well, uh, losing on the road to the Indianapolis Colts. Two-and-a-half-point favorites. You'd fear Kansas City would be motivated walking into the same building where they got absolutely embarrassed. Uh, in the Super Bowl uh, a few uh, two seasons ago, back in January or excuse me February of 2021, give me the Kansas, give me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win this game and a defensive slugfest. Final score 17-14. We move along to the Monday night game between the Los Angeles Rams and the 2019, excuse me, 2021 NFC Championship game rematch. NFC West Divisional rivalry between the Rams and San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers two and a half point favorites coming off of their aforementioned 11-10 Sunday night loss uh, against the Denver Broncos. Meanwhile, the Rams are coming off of their uh, week three victory on the road against the Arizona Cardinals. Give me the Los Angeles Rams to take care of business by the final score of 23-13. And those, ladies and gentlemen, are your week four picks against the spread. Good show. Busy show. Productive show. Ian added something special. Thanks to him for joining us. And a special thanks to you to listening to another episode of the I'm Like a TIS podcast. If you're new to the program, like what you heard, please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast. And the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it TIS. As your boy Jai Shields, stay safe, stay healthy. Prayers up to the people down there in the state of Florida. I will talk to you on Tuesday. Have a great Great weekend, everybody. See you.